0: Our reading today is Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord will not let your foot slip. The Holy One who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, God who watches over Israel will neither slumber or sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. God will watch over your life. God will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. This is the word of God for the people of God. I lift my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Living here in the Pacific Northwest, we're blessed with an almost daily opportunity to lift our eyes to the mountains. Whether it's the sight of Mount Hood on a crystal clear morning, or seeing the dusting of snow on the west hills, or looking way off in the distance and seeing the other peaks in the Cascade Range, we can lift our eyes to the mountains every day find great beauty. The mountains, those mountains, my mountains of my childhood, give me great comfort. They remind me of God's everlasting presence in my life. And that's why Psalm 121 is one of my favorite psalms. It's one of the songs of ascent a number of biblical scholars believe that the songs of ascent were sung as people departed on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The words of the psalm comfort the pilgrim, reminding the pilgrim that strength for the journey comes from God. And God will watch over them, not only during the pilgrimage, but throughout all the days of their lives, both now and forevermore. Now, we don't Think much about pilgrimages these days. It's not something we do as part of our faith experience. We talk about making pilgrimages. I used to joke when I lived out of the state that I would make my pilgrimage to Powell's books every time I was in Portland. Now, the idea of a pilgrimage is to undertake a journey of some length that requires some sacrifice, constantly praying or in contemplation to a location that has some spiritual significance. The psalmist promises that God will protect the pilgrim in all their comings and goings, not only on the journey, but in every journey they take. I was thinking about pilgrimages earlier this month when I spent a few days on Orcas Island in the San Juans with my daughter's Girl Scout troop. On an outing to one of the towns on the island, I found a small labyrinth. Situated next to an Episcopal Church with an amazing view looking out over the sound. I had a few minutes So I decided I would walk the labyrinth and see what the Spirit had to tell me. I noticed a few things about the labyrinth walking experience that I hadn't noticed before this time. Walking a labyrinth is a kind of pilgrimage. No matter how short the walk may be, it is still a walk to be done in contemplation, like a pilgrimage. Contemplation was a little hard for me to grasp onto. I found that as I walked the labyrinth in the beginning, I was focused on how close I was to getting to the center. The path would take me close and then take me back to an outer part of the labyrinth, always tantalizing me close and then far away, close and far, close and far. Also, I noticed that in the beginning of my walk, I thought, this is going to take forever. But eventually, as I got used to the rhythm of my feet moving along the path, I was able to let go of those monkey brain thoughts and begin a more focused contemplation. When I did that, I noticed it didn't take nearly as long as I thought it was going to. Close and far, taking too long and over too soon. Like all good journeys. Even once I got to the middle, I could have just ended there, but I felt my need to retrace my steps. Because the end of the labyrinth walk for me was not the center. The end was the point where I had started, once again moving out into the world. There was no destination. The labyrinth provided me with an opportunity to stop, take notice of what the Spirit was telling me, and center myself to face the world again. The final step of the labyrinth walk was then a space between two ways of being. In the same way, a pilgrimage is not just about the final destination. Every step on the path is sacred, and the return to the world is just as much a part of the pilgrimage journey as the destination. The ultimate goal of the labyrinth is not the certainty provided in the center of the labyrinth, But instead, the ultimate goal is the new possibilities the Spirit has for us when we go out into the world. Those new possibilities are unknown, uncertain. And maybe the most we can hope for is that our hearts and our souls will be guided by the Spirit and strengthened by this contemplative act of walking the labyrinth or making pilgrimage. I've been part of this church for five years and I've been given an opportunity to preach a number of times. I always appreciate the opportunity to share with you, and I consider it part of my ministry. And when I say my ministry, I realize I don't have a coherent sense of what my ministry is. I just know when something feels like it's part of it, and I enjoy finding those moments or experiences that fit my understanding of the kind of ministry God wants me to have. It occurs to me that many of you may not know my story, my journey of faith, how I ended up an ordained minister in the UCC. Some of you may know that I'm a semi-professional actor, and in this case semi-professional means I get paid but only enough to cover my gas, but you may not know how much about how I balance and interweave those parts of my life. One of the things that people have been sharing over the course of this summer series is moments where people felt that God was leading them a new way forward. And so I'd like to share with you when I felt that God was guiding me to something new. In the spring of 2009, I was facing an impending job loss as the research center that I was running at Stanford was closing down. I had no idea what my next job would be, if it would be a step up in my career, or a dead-end job. I was pretty demoralized. I was fortunate. My employer, Stanford, gave me a generous severance to find a new job, but that time was coming to an end, and I was seeking a new opportunity. Now, I grew up in the Presbyterian Church. It played a major role in the life of my family. Many of our social activities and leisure activities were all centered around the church. Fortunately for me, the church was a good influence on me. When I was in high school and college, the church gave me new opportunities and went for, was for the most part a safe and nurturing place for me. By the time I'd finished high school, I had added minister to my list of possible career choices. And the idea remained in my head through college where I continued to be involved in the Presbyterian church. But by the time I graduated from Lewis and Clark, I'd given it a lot of thought And I decided that continuing on to seminary to become a minister did make sense to me. At the time I saw the end result as the only thing that was important. And in this case the end result was being a minister in a church and that wasn't something that I can picture myself doing. I justified it to others for years by saying that I wanted to experience the real world instead of continuing in the ivory tower of academia. But in reality, the idea of being a minister scared me. To my 20-something brain, that level of responsibility, responsibility for guiding people on their spiritual paths, was frightening. And my idea of the kind of life a minister would lead wasn't one that I could picture myself. However, as I considered and ultimately rejected the idea of going to seminary, there was always the still, small voice that told me, maybe someday. I was putting it in God's hands. I said to God, if this is something you want for me, then I will wait until I receive a sign. I will wait for your call. And so I waited. Now, I did go on to graduate school, Earned a master's degree in theater history and dramatic literature. The theater had been my first love, and I threw myself into it wholeheartedly. I have had a great career in the theater. For me, an essential truth of the value of the theater experience is that it gives us all an opportunity to see the world through the lens of someone else's experience. And I can't think of many things that are more spiritual than that. Frankly, a piece of me always considered theater to be an active ministry, and I still do. So in the spring of 2009, I sat in church on a Sunday morning, hearing the story from Luke 5, when Jesus tells the disciples to cast their nets into deeper waters. They had been fishing all day and had not caught anything. Jesus tells them to take their boats out again, cast their nets into deeper waters, and they do. And they can barely haul in their nets, so full are they with fish. I remember that text vividly. But I also remember my pastor saying in that moment, be careful, this is the kind of text that changes people's lives. I heard the text telling me in that moment that even when I felt lost and confused, if I just cast my net into deeper waters, I would find new reserves of purpose. And my first response in that moment to laugh. I laughed at that moment, thinking someone could hear this as a call to ministry. Before I knew it, I realized that was exactly what it was. In the midst of my laughter, and I think God was laughing with me, through this text of Jesus telling his disciples to try again to fill their nets, I clearly felt God telling me to begin a new journey, a journey of service and devotion, of investigation, and discernment. Now by this time I knew that the church needs many different forms of ordained ministry. I also knew that I needed to face that potential great responsibility that frightened my 20-year-old self. By this time I was also you know, in a devoted and loving marriage. I was a loving father of two wonderful amazing children. Both of those things carried great responsibility and I had faced it. I had done the ivory tower experience and worked hard at it. I knew I was capable of doing the work and carrying the possible responsibility. I had said to God in 1988, if you want me, God, just call. And eventually, God was able to get a call through. But this time, when I considered seminary, I didn't see ministry form of ministry as a fixed result. Now some people go to seminary because they want to serve God by being a pastor to a church. Some people are called to be chaplains. I began seminary without a fixed idea of what I wanted the end result to be. It was the journey that was the goal, and that journey wouldn't end at ordination. My seminary experience then was just one step on my pilgrimage. This moment of answering God's call was my leap of faith. This was the moment when I felt that God was showing me a new way forward. And I began the journey, enrolling in seminary in 2010, earning my Master's of Divinity in 2015, and I was ordained into Christian ministry at Foothills Congregational Church, United Church of Christ, in Los Altos, California. When I was ordained, I was fundraising, as I had done for much of my Career, but this time for a seminary, my seminary. And the United Church of Christ considers that work to be ministry. So here I am today, still on the journey, still on a pilgrimage to an unknown destination, still fundraising for Tucker Maxim, and still exploring the soul expanding potential of the theater and I'm part of the unofficial ministry team here at Lake Oswego United Church of Christ. Those are the ways in which I serve. Now over the course of this next year, you'll be hearing a lot about liminality. Liminality comes from the Latin word limit, which means the threshold of a door. So liminality is that state of being between states between certainty and unknown. And that's where we are today as a church. Logistically we're in some sort of limbo or liminality regarding opening back up for our in-person gathering. As a nation, possibly as a world, we are seeing the old ways start to slip away, but we don't know what the new ways will look like. So you'll be hearing a lot about liminality this this, this year. The Church Council has been using the book How to Lead When You Don't Know Where You're Going, leading in a liminal season by Susan Beaumont, as a guide for our thinking about the upcoming year. As Beaumont points out, as Christians today, we dwell in that state of liminality, at the threshold between an ending and a new beginning. Richard Rohr writes, we have to allow ourselves to be drawn out of business as usual and remain patiently on the threshold where we are betwixt and between the familiar and the completely unknown. If we can wait, be patient, live into that liminality, listen for that still small voice, the Spirit may be guiding us, not just the Church, but each of us and our own lives into something wholly new. And one thing I know for certain, God will be there to watch over our comings and our goings for now and forevermore.